You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark and Jace. This is episode number 67. First off, just want to announce our new giveaway. We're giving away a new copy of Chris Hogan's recently released book titled Everyday Millionaires. We recently had Chris on the show, both received a copy of his book and thought it would be fun to give away. And if that's not enticing enough with that book, we're also adding a $50 Visa gift card to go with it. So $50 and Chris Hogan's new book, Everyday Millionaires. To enter that giveaway, we're asking you to do two things. First is to join our email list at our website, millionairesunveiled.com. And second, to subscribe and leave a show review on iTunes or Stitcher. So again, that's a giveaway to Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaires book and a $50 gift card. To enter, join our email list at millionairesunveiled.com and subscribe and leave a review to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. That giveaway will go on for a few weeks and we'll draw the winner near the end of uh, February here. A special thanks to Equity Multiple for supporting the show. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects accredited investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally managed commercial real estate and create a stronger, more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires, and you can tell them Clark and Jay sent you. On last week's episode, we had Mark. Mark has a net worth of $1.7 million, which has primarily come through building and selling websites. Next week's show will be with Andy. Andy has a net worth of $4 million, and he has a terrific and quite touching story that's been featured all over the internet, including on Dave Ramsey. So you won't want to miss that episode. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, please reach out to us at millionairesunveiled.com or at our email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we'll jump on a call with you to discuss those opportunities. We partner with a group that has a high track record of success and high returns as well. So on today's show, we have Keith. Keith blogs at thewealthyaccountant.com and has a current net worth of over $10 million. His blog currently states that he's at about $12.5 million. Most of his income has come through his tax and accounting business, and he has various investment holdings, including real estate. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Keith. So Keith, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you do, and then maybe get a little bit into the allocation and how you got to, to the level of wealth that you are now and kind of how you invest. My background is maybe unique from some people because most people don't farm anymore today, but I grew up on a farm in Northeast Wisconsin. and I am out in the boondocks. It's it's pretty it's it's pretty backwoods. So I grew up on it. It was a gravel road, and it was big news when I turned about oh 16 or 17. They came down. They're going to start blacktopping roads. That was pretty big news for us. That was that, that was our excitement back in 1978 or 80. <clears throat> and uh, and and the family farm went through bankruptcy six months less than six months after I graduated from high school. So I was. I was kind of lost then. 1982 in Northeast Wisconsin was a bad year for the economy. So 
I did. Uh, fortunately, the family went through the bankruptcy with the family farm. I did not. I was, again, I was just a kid. So I had maybe a thousand or two thousand dollars basically in a passbook savings account. And back then you were making pretty good money. So that would pay, I don't know, 12% or whatever it was. <clears throat> and from 1982 to 1994, in that 12 year period, I went from there to just just over a million dollars. So I had hit $1.2 million approximately uh, at that time. And from there, then it went up to a much higher number. So let, let's let's go back to the, um, you know, how I went from 2000 to that first million. Part of it was accidental, but part of it was I, I always wanted to be wealthy when I was younger because I grew up on a poor farm and I wanted to have money. So I actually had this idea in my head. I want to be the richest guy in the world. I wanted to be Warren Buffett before I knew he existed. And <laughs> and But the thing is, I, I got that out of my system because after you get money, uh, I'll tell you what happened when I when I discovered I had this million dollars of why it was anticlimactic. But here I am. I had very little money, and I was working for the family. My dad had a business in agricultural repair. Uh, it was it was it was work. Certainly didn't get paid a lot because the family just got butchered in, in bankruptcy court. We kept most of the land. We kept the buildings. We kept uh, some of the uh, equipment, but the animals, some of the land was gone. It was it was devastating for the family. This was this was with us since you know early 1800s when great 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 granddad came over from Germany. <clears throat> what I did is I was working for my dad. Didn't make a lot, and I discovered very early that I liked doing the bookkeeping and taxes. And my dad hated it, by the way. So I do his his bookkeeping and I do his tax stuff. And of course, I didn't get paid any more for that. But then all the employees. They wanted me to do it. Well, dad didn't pay me a lot, but these guys would say, hey, Keith, would you do my tax return and slide me 20, 30, 40 bucks? And I was like, man, this is like manna from heaven. Then some vendors would come in and, and I could make myself, I could double or triple my paycheck, which wasn't very big back then. Again, I was, it was less than minimum wage because I'm working for family. And back then, minimum wage was three thirty-five an hour. Wow. <clears throat> so it was tough. But the thing I had in my advantage was I had no expenses. So everything went into investments. Now, some of it, and here, here's a mistake that worked out for me. One of the first things I did is I, I love trading stocks. I thought I was going to be this great, you know, you know, guru in that. There was something back in the early 80s called Digicon Warrants. And they traded, I noticed, at a, a quarter to three ace all the time. So Valley Bank, which is no longer in existence here where I'm around, it's BMO Harris now. <clears throat> they were bought out by a couple different ones. And I would trade this thing and I made a couple thousand bucks on it and kept on building up. But then I realized that one day I'm going to get my bell rung because I, I I started researching. And I started figuring out what warrants really are and that kind of stuff. And and, and it, was, it was a poor decision on my part. I just got lucky. And I started investing then in mutual funds and I didn't go to the index funds, even though I was aware of them. But I heard things like in the Wall Street Journal, which that was my one expense in life back then. Wall Street Journal, every business day to my doorstep. And I would go ahead and I would go in like uh, American funds and I would go into things like growth and income funds. It was kind of like an index fund, but I knew that that's where I wanted to be. And I just dropped it in. And every time I'd make a penny, in it goes, in it goes, in it goes. <clears throat> but again, even if you make, you know, if I'm living on a couple thousand bucks or 5,000 bucks a, a year living with mom and dad and I can maybe bring in 20 grand, $15,000 doesn't build you to a million very fast unless you have a lot, a lot of time and 14 years wouldn't be enough. So how did I kind of get there? Well, first of all, somewhere in the mid eighties, then after a couple of years went by, I quit working for my dad. I had saved some money up. I had done some side businesses that did make some money. I was able to sell some things else. I had amassed maybe a hundred, a hundred and change in, in money. I had, you know, basically no debt. 
And I bought a mobile home in a little town called Forest Junction. And for me, this was like, again, manna from heaven. I'm all here. I can sit down all day and read and study and research. <clears throat> and I got this idea in my head that real estate's the way to go. Uh, so I started buying real estate. My dad said, well, that's a great idea, son. Can, can we do it as well? And, and my dad and brother came in. So my dad, brother, and myself all threw in $35,000 each, $105,000 of seed money. <clears throat> and I just went to town buying a lot of real estate. And I would buy things that, you know, I had nothing to do. So maybe we'd fix a little bit of it up. I didn't do much of the work, but I would just find crews, get out there and do it. And slowly that would grow. We never took money out. So we'd buy one house. We bought some houses where we had money down, but then we just have one blanket loan. So we'd start buying a lot of houses. We'd, we'd be buying four or five houses a month. And I just send all crews to fix it. This one needs robes and the carpeting and you got to gut this one. We had, because we were doing the work, the cities around here became interested in what I did because they, they knew I was taking some really crappy properties and I was fixing them up and then renting them out. So they'd call me up once in a while and say, well, you know, we got this house over here, Keith, we're going to condemn it, and, and it's really bad. But if you give us 5000 bucks, we'll give you six months to, to bring it up the code. <clears throat> so we would do that. We'd pick some of these up, and, you know, we had one that had, like, two feet of dog in the basement. Uh, and it's like, well, okay, 5000 bucks, okay? So we put about thirty grand in this thing. We sold it for eighty grand three years later, you know, rented it out for three years. <laughs> so, so we made money at it. It was, it was all low-end stuff compared to what you have prices today, but – you know, when we finally got to the end, when we finally sold out in the, in the late 90s, there was a lot of cash then to put away. Well, this is what happened, though, when I found this is how I discovered I had a million dollar net worth is, you know, my wife and I were living frugally. I mean, we're living really frugally. My wife's sitting on the dining room table. She's clipping coupons and I'm sitting there and the bank every year would tell us you have to give us a personal financial statement. So, OK, I'll do that. And it, it, it irritated me because it's like, you know, go away, guys. You know, leave me alone. You know, if I don't have the money, what are you going to do? Call all these freaking loans? It ain't going to work. You got to you don't want to repossess these things, but I'll do it anyway. So I started scratching all the stuff down. Here's what I own. I own my house. I got maybe, I don't know, 40,000 of net worth there. I got some uh, cash. I maybe had maybe 300 and change back then, 340, 360, you know, some 300,000-something something socked away between qualified and non-qualified accounts. And, I'm, and then I'm adding up all the real estate, and it's like, well, holy cow. I, I always listed real estate for what we paid for it rather than the depreciated amount on a tax return or what it was worth if we'd sell it because I felt those numbers were not real until they were realized. So I would just say if we bought a house for 50000 that house is listed at 50000 in my net worth minus any liabilities. Well, here it is 1994. I'm doing this financial statement, personal financial statement, and uh, I'm starting to add it up and it's like, Wow, and I my my portion was one third, so it's like oh, holy shit. <laughs> we got like three point eight or four million dollars of real estate, and I know our loan ain't that big. That one I don't have to add up. We just have one big blanket loan, and well, I added it up, and it came to like one point two million. And this is the anticlimactic part. Me, I'm doing a jig. I'm like, I reached my goal. I'm the richest man in the world. I mean, I came from nowhere, Wisconsin. Understand. I have a million dollar net worth, which I couldn't afford a happy meal because I'd have to cash in something to do it. And I wasn't selling <laughs> real estate and I wasn't selling my mutual fund. So that's the way it was. And my wife's just, that's nice to hear and just keeps on clipping away at her coupons. It's like, you know, I love my wife and I've never choked her, but that was, I got close. <clears throat> um, and she agreed. We still laugh about it because she did that. And even when we went to eight figures later on, 
so real estate gave me a big boost. But another big boost has been I've always had businesses. And when you have these businesses and you run them for a while, you sell them. And maybe maybe they're really small. They give you twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Well, if you have a small side gig and you're making, I don't know, fifteen, twenty, thirty grand a year, and then you sell it and get another, you don't have to work the next year, but you get thirty, forty thousand in cash, which is taxed at long-term cap gain rates. I'm like, well, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. I can do with this. I'm not lazy enough to not want to do this anymore. <laughs> Except for my tax business, I always kept doing that. So that's where I got to to, to the first million. So that's pretty crazy. Just to review here. So you hit your first million at your young 30s, right? And then now you've gotten, as as you said, over 10 million and some. So do you think more of that net worth has come from your small businesses and the businesses you've started or from your real estate and investing, you know, some of those proceeds? Yeah, the real estate gave me a big push. But but really, the businesses is what the, the real number came from the businesses. If I had to do it over, I wouldn't do real estate. I'd go into small business. So my my daughters are, my oldest daughter's 23, the youngest one, 18. I say, ladies, you know, real estate's a fine deal. Everybody tells you it's a way to make riches. And it is in some regards. I can I can do the math on that. But if you want to make it even faster, I, I, can, I did it in my blog someplace where I wrote a post where you can, you know, how to go from a zero net worth to a million in, in, in less than five years. <clears throat> and the only way to do that is either you're going to get a big slug of money, a very big offensive income push, or you're going to have to have a business where you have to, you know, well, let, let, let me do an illustration. <clears throat> Let's take my tax office for an example. So my tax office, uh, tax offices are basically tax accounting firms, tax preparation firms generally sell for about one times revenue. So let's say I have a side gig that has a hundred thousand dollars of revenue in my small little preparation business. I'm running out of my house. Okay. So the next year I say, well, I'm going to be kind of funny about this. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to increase my business. I'm going to bring in a couple new clients. I'm going to have $10,000 more in revenue. So how much did my net worth go up? $18,000. And people are like, "What you said? You said you went up ten thousand dollars. How did my inc- how did your net worth go up eighteen thousand dollars?" And I say, "Well, <clears throat> uh, I'm not smoking anything because I don't do that. But here's what happened: is if I add another ten thousand of revenue to my business, my expenses aren't going to go up like the first expenses. I mean, adding another ten thousand might cost me two thousand in expenses. It's a high margin business preparation, so I made eight thousand dollars. But remember, the value of the business is worth one times revenue. So if I turned around tomorrow when I was done and sold it, it's going to sell for one hundred ten thousand, not a hundred thousand. Therefore, I have ten ten thousand increase in net worth, and I got eight thousand dollars in cash in my pocket, which is current. The great news is, is I don't pay any tax on the ten thousand right now. Because it's going to defer forward. Now, that, and again, this is many years ago when I had this mental concept, even when I'm understanding with businesses. I pulled this stunt with other little businesses. What you can do today, it's even better with qualified opportunity funds this year. I wouldn't pay any tax on my gain. I'd say, oh, I'm going to sell my tax practice for one times revenue. I'm going to drop it into an opportunity fund. I'm going to pay no tax until 2026. I'm going to pay with deflated dollars. I'm going to get a 15% reduction or, or increase in basis. So I'm only going to pay tax on 85 cents in a dollar with these deflated dollars. And all the profit on that money as it's growing for 10 years is going to be tax free. Well, what's not to like? You want to get rich today? That is the easiest way to do it. And besides, rentals are a lot of work, too. Yeah. Yeah. And just for our listeners that don't know, Qualified Opportunity Fund's new with the, the new tax law, right? You can defer some of these cap gains and invest in these Qualified Opportunity Zones yep. that, you know, they're looking to, to have new construction and, and increase business. So, 
have you bought any pre-existing businesses or is every small business that you have, is that something you've started? I started my own. <clears throat> I've never found, again, I played with the idea. I do consulting for clients that want to buy businesses. My job is usually to tell them why it's not going to work because they've, they've already sold themselves. But the truth at the end of the day is I, I'm able to build most businesses faster and cheaper than I can pay somebody else. So, you know, when I, when I added, when I started to, I wanted to start a payroll part to my business. So I wasn't doing much payroll prior to that, but I went ahead and decided I would, I would make it bigger. So I did. I didn't buy somebody else's payroll business. I just built it up myself. And uh, if I had a retail, I, I did a, like a sales retail business when I was younger. I just built it up. I have to have an idea. Generally, I have these ideas and I want to do them. And if I play with them and they start working, then I'll let them get bigger. And I, I know full well going in, I'm going to walk away. Now, many businesses, if you, you know, you're making XYZ widgets or you're doing something that's a little offbeat, you know, might work in the backwoods of Wisconsin, but you're doing something, let's say it might bring in a hundred thousand of revenue, might be a lower margin uh, type item. So maybe it makes 20 a year in profit. That business is not going to probably sell for a, for a hundred thousand. It might sell for only 30, 40 cents on one year revenue. But keep in mind, if you're making 20,000 and they're willing to pay 40 for it, that's two years at capital gains rates versus ordinary rates. And I didn't have to work. And by the time that two years is up from the selling profits, versus the income, I already got another business idea going. Yeah. So what are some of the businesses that you've started over the years? Uh, well, well I, I did some farming. <laughs> I got back into farming for a while. <clears throat> uh, maybe a little more than I should have. Yeah, 20 uh, years, I, right? <laughs> well, I took off. I did it back. I bought my farm in 1995. And, and in the 2000s, I spent I probably spent about 15 years. It's been about three years since I got rid of the steers. That was a nice check three years ago because steers were about 2000 bucks on the hoof. And right now, again, I just didn't see a future in it. I knew prices were coming down. And I, I got out of it. And now you're getting 800 to 1000 bucks on the hoof, which nobody's making money, which I'm glad I didn't buy more calves. You're losing, <laughs> you're losing me, man. I live in New York. I don't understand this stuff. Okay. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> so, the the other thing I, I did I always like to sell stuff. So I had securities. I did securities for uh, like I said three years. I went from zero to one of the top 100 with the broker dealer of there's 7,000 brokers there. And when I got to the end and I kind of told them to kiss off, I was I just didn't like the way they wanted me to give advice. They back then it's it was illegal. It's illegal today to do what we did back then and we're encouraged to do. Yeah. And I didn't like it back then either. But at that point, I sold my book and it was in the six figures what I was making per year just selling securities because I was in the top 100 out of this group. So that sold pretty nicely. And that price sold about 98 so I think 98, 97, 99, so late, late 90s uh, is when I got out of that. And I, like I said three, four years, so probably about 94 when I got realized I had a million dollars. I also had this opportunity to be a stockbroker, and I, and I jumped at that. I, I, I really enjoyed the idea of, of, of securities, but I like the idea of investing, but I don't like you – know, the advice I give to clients now when I'm consulting – can be whatever advice I want, okay? Because I'm not doing it as a stockbroker. So if I tell them, put your money in an index fund, be happy, that's good. If I tell them to do something tax-wise, you know, it can be a good idea. I can give them, you know, 
good opinions on how it fits with them. But if the broker dealer doesn't make money and you're and you're a licensed broker, you might not be able to give that advice, not legally at least. And you could end up being sued by the SEC or state regulators, or you know you gotta you gotta sell you know what what what's within the parameter. And I and I and I did not do well with that. I am I'm kind of a you know, to just watch the account and go, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's me. I don't care. It's, I, I don't work good with a framework that forces me to give advice I think is wrong. So you've had a real estate, you've had the farm, you've had a retail shop back in the day, well, selling I didn't have securities. A I sold re- I sold to retail outlets. Oh, you sold to <laughs> now, retail. Okay. Let me give you, this is a funny story. It, it may be not funny, but it's interesting. It shows what I did. So I'm in high school. Okay. I was going to be a farmer. Okay. So I was in the future farmers of America. I still got the little jacket that I have with that when I was in high school. <clears throat> well, what they did back then is they, they were raising money all the time at the school. So they were sell, they sold light bulbs and I went crazy with it. I mean, I sold more light bulbs my sophomore year of high school than anyone has ever sold in the history of the school uh, for the future farmers of America. And I just, I mean, I sold, we, we brought these big cases along with you and I didn't go with one case. I, I fill up the van to the top. My, my, my parents would drive me around cause I'm like 14, 15 years old. And I, I go out all the guys in the country up and down the streets in town. And I, I, I you could tell me no a million times and I was still a million dollar smile. I'm going to sell stuff. <clears throat> well, what that did though is then I become an adult. Well, when you're a kid, people are going to buy from you because you're a kid. Okay. You want to sell, you know, a dollar light bulb. You know, th- th- these little packs were a dollar or two dollars back then. Um, and you know, I sold these things by the case, but that's because I was a kid. Okay. And you know, it's like buying from the Girl Scouts. You buy because they're the Girl Scouts. You know, it's some kid that's doing this. <clears throat> well, what I finally did when I got older is I got involved with this thing called SMC. It was called Specialty Merchandising Corporation. I think they're still around. I think I wrote a blog post on this too at one time because <clears throat> I looked them up. I was wondering if the things I started with still exist and it's not the same. But what they did is they had this little catalog, maybe a quarter inch thick, and they had a bunch of little knickknacky things, a lot of stuff from China and that. And it was like an importing business. So what I did is I went to every retailer in my community and then even further away. So I went in my little town where I grew up. I went to town down the road. I, you know, I didn't drive to do anything else, but I drive for that. And I'd go out there and I would, I'd make these orders and I'd sell stuff. And I was, I was getting a, it wasn't a big, big profitable business, but I was selling so much at some point I was running around so much. I could say, let's just let somebody else take it. And somebody did take it over at some time and paid me some money. It wasn't a massive amount, <clears throat> but I was, I was getting you know, the UPS was, you know, again, this is like the mid, you know, early mid eighties and I'm, you know, UPS would come and they would, <laughs> they'd be unloading a lot of these huge boxes, especially this time of the year. Cause we'd be buying all these Christmassy things to send, to put in all the shops. Walmart's not around. So you have in my community, at least so all these little mom and pop boutique shops, I would put them in on consignment. Uh, if I couldn't get in on, if they wouldn't buy direct for me, I just put in on consignment and, uh, uh, I'd go out there and make sure that people would know stuff is there. And I, I just, I talk to everybody and anybody just get it out there and get it working. So I just kind of want to switch gears here before the show, we kind of talked about perseverance and focus. So you've obviously grown your net worth to over 10 million. You've done extremely well financially. Maybe talk about how perseverance and focus and, you know, those traits have really helped you grow your business and grow your net worth. <laughs> Okay, the best, I think the best way to start this conversation, or part of it at least, is 
the best advice that I ever got came from my grandfather when it came to money. And it's not that my dad and my, my mother are bad with money either. They, they went through the bankruptcy, but then they got it back. And my grandfather also did pretty good afterwards. Farming was just bad in the late 70s. There were some things that went on and we just got caught up in it. <clears throat> my grandfather may have had a, st- a comment all the time or a philosophy that said, you never take off the stack or you never take off the pile. And what he meant by that is that you never touch the corpus. So, for example, in today's environment, let's say you're a business person today or you got some rental properties today. We have a new tax code, okay? So the new tax code says they have something called a qualified business income deduction. Now, for the listeners that may not be aware of this, what this generally means is if you're a small business, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be able to take a non-cash deduction of 20% of your profit before your wage. So let's say you have $100,000 of profit in your S corporation. You pay yourself $50,000 on a W-2. The IRS says, no, 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 we don't count your wage. We count everything except your wage. We're going to give you a $20,000 non-cash deduction. Well, let's say your other income added together puts you in a 25% tax bracket just for argument's sake, because I don't want to do any more hard math in my head. And that means you're going to have $20,000 of deduction. You're going to be in a 25% tax bracket. That's $5,000. My grandfather's attitude to this money is that this is found money. You do not spend it. You put it into your investment. You can spend the interest or dividend, but you never touch that money. That is your corpus. That is your original. And I've lived by that credo that the only time I'd ever touch it is if there was a, an emergency. You know, if my wife would have cancer or would need, would need medical treatment, of course I would tap it. But going on vacation to Costa Rica doesn't cut it. It's not happening. If there's not enough dividends or interest and or interest, then you can't go. That's the way it is. You never take off the stack. That's hmm. the persistence I think that I've always had. Now, let's talk about persistence about how badly I wanted it. So it's 1989. I decide I'm going to go full-time into taxes. And it's 1990. I owned a home. I got rid of the mobile home. I'm living in town now. I have a, I, I remodeled a bedroom. By, by this time, I'm going to – okay, I just remodeled a bedroom by then for the tax business because <clears throat> I went full-time. And that year, my house payment was like 500 and change, so maybe 500 or 525 per month. That was taxes and insurance. That was principal and interest. Uh, I had some money to the side in cash, so I was pretty good with that. But my wife and I had nowhere to go. We'd work out of the house. We would walk to the park. We'd do things together. That year, we lived on just a hair over $9,000, which means after our house payment, we spent $3,000 for utilities and for food and things like that. But we, 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 we went out together basically going for a walk. We didn't have cable. And we were happy as hell. We were young newlyweds. We were deeply in love. We didn't care about the money. But so, so I might have made... in my side gigs and my horsing around and just, you know, things that I'm just these, these brainchilds that are sometimes insane. And I spent 9,000 bucks, argue a thousand dollars for tax. I socked away $15,000. Well, this is where persistence really comes in. So it's 1990. So you go to 2000 to 2010 to 2018, 28 years. Well, rule of 72 says that the stock market does 7% per year. That's Jeremy Siegel, Siegel's research stocks for the long run, plus the inflation rate. Okay, 10% a year. That's what the market does. Rule of 72 says about every seven years you're going to double. So 7, 14, uh, 21, 28, four doublings. Well, 15,000 goes to uh, 30 to 60 to 120 to 240. So it's not not that I was smarter than anybody else. It's just that here I live frugally – 
you know, 28 years ago, and because my wife and I were just happier and happy living life, and it's just, you know, we didn't want any more, so why spend it? You know, we'd go to church once in a while, that'd be a drive, but other than that, you know, groceries maybe once in a while, but we we every three months, a tank of gas at best. So here we are living on nothing and happy as can be, and what could have we spent that year that would have given me the, the happiness that $240,000 today spending would give me? And the answer is nothing. So I put it away and then it just stayed there. And that's always been, you know, I've always been fairly frugal. So I've been, sometimes I've made very good money. I've had a lot of years where I make six figures, but I've had a lot of years and I didn't make six figures. During the rental years, the tax return would always show less. Your cash flow is more because you get all this depreciation. Uh, so I probably did better than the return said. But at the same time, I, I, I've never been extravagant. Most people, you know, I guess if they meet me, they probably realize when you talk to me that I understand money. So I probably have some, <clears throat> but most people, if you look at my vehicles, I have, I have a vehicle I bought from an employee back in 2002. It's a 2000 Honda Accord. And I use duct tape to hold a spoiler on just because it, the car starts nice. It runs nice in a Wisconsin winter. I'm just like, when that's when, when that sucker, when, 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 when they give me 25 bucks to haul her away and that's the best that's left for it, I might, but I'm, I'm still, and, and my, my newest car is a bank repo. It's a uh, Toyota camera, 2007. So I've never been one to show off. I mean, I'm, I'm currently sitting in my office in jogging pants and a free t-shirt from FinCon. Nice. I've got that T-shirt. You got that? Yes, exactly. It's a pretty good T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting here and I didn't shave for two weeks now because, well, I didn't. Ha- I, I'm, I'm doing everything on on the internet and talking on 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 speakerphone here. So <clears throat> and, and into a microphone, so people aren't going to see me. So I got. I, I'm not clean shaved today. It's two weeks of. It's getting. It's getting to be a nice beard. <clears throat> but I don't. I just have never been the kind of person that needs to impress people. Though I do like to impress upon people that, you know, I think what I'm doing is correct as an example, because you don't have to have $10 million or $15 million or $12 million. That's, that's all crazy stuff. Once you hit a, once you hit two to $3 million at, at that particular point, unless you have a, unless you have a, a cocaine habit or something, you know, you got enough to live. You can enjoy life. After that, it's, it's a game. It's, it's just, it's just going to happen and, and you do what you want to do. You know, you need to get the financial independence. I think that's important for people because then you, you don't know what you want in life. No, everybody thinks they know what they want. They don't know what they want. You don't know what you want until you have really have that option to do what you want. And, and that's why even when I, even when I had 1.2 million back at 32 years old <clears throat> and I had these rental properties, I did not feel rich. I felt poor. If you'd asked me, I said, I'm dirt poor. Okay. And I know that even back then in 1994, I know that even by today's standards, most people don't have 300 grand. Okay. So here I'm this kid, $300,000 sitting around. I have a business. Uh, I'm living a dream. I didn't feel rich though, because I, one, I didn't, I, I just, you know, I've always, always visualized the, the big hat, no cattle people as being rich, even though those are the poor guys. And I never wanted to be that. And for me, it was, I've always been interested in business ideas. So the real estate was a business idea. Uh, I try, I'm always trying something. Uh, I, I have the side gig thing that I'm going to put on my blog where people, the readers can actually do this and it's probably going to be a pretty good idea. <clears throat> and probably in the next 30 to 60 days, I'll publish that. And then this is something I'm experimenting with myself is like, wow, this is kind of nice. And it's pretty easy. And, uh, 
you know, first come, first serve. If people do this, it'll be a great little deal. You'll 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 make people really happy in your local community. And at the second and then the second thing, you'll make pretty good money yourself, though it will be kind of lumpy. You know, when you get checks, it'll be big. And but then you'll wait for a while, then another big check will come in. I, I think that one that gives life the juice that you need to be you know, to be alive. But I think the other thing is, is that the meaning of life is that this, you know, just recently now we had this big blow up with Suze Orman where she's, you know, what do you think of the fire community community? She goes, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And then it got this great big brouhaha going on. The thing is, is that I got what she said and I didn't agree with her. I'm not a big fan of Suze Orman's work, uh, by the way, but that doesn't mean I disagree with everything she says. But this, this idea of retirement to me has always been a very difficult concept. I, to me, retired means, you know, if I retire a computer, it means it goes to the landfill. When people get retired, we take them to the graveyard. You're not retiring me yet. Okay. In physics, work is force time distance. I am pushing some force and I'm going to make some distance. Otherwise I'm cranky. I like to do things. <clears throat> so my attitude is that what people really want is financial independence and they want to be able to do something they enjoy doing. So I encourage people to get the financial independence and then do what they like, whether it makes money or not. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And, and I just got to circle back that you're, you know, worth over $10 million and you're, and you're putting duct tape on your bumper, man. Pretty awesome. <clears throat> when pe- I get emails sometimes, and then I imagine when people hear this thing too, they'll do it because I spend between twenty and 25000 a year some years <clears throat> and understand how I consider what money is. If, if you have a, if you have a house, if you buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars, I think you spend a hundred thousand dollars, even if you borrow the money. When you make a mortgage payment, you do not have a thousand dollar mortgage payment as an expense. You have eight hundred dollars of principal and two hundred dollars of new interest. The interest is expense. The other part is just paying off a liability. <clears throat> That's the first thing. But when I say that I live on that much, I get hate mail sometimes from people that think that somehow I am harming the economy and hurting people, that I owe society, that I spend more since I have it, to which I vehemently uh, resist. And here's why. Every single dollar I have, except for maybe a little bit in my wallet, is invested or in the bank or something. Most of it's invested. That invested money then gets spent by the company it's invested with. Because if I buy a stock or buy a mutual fund or buy an index fund, there's somebody on the other side selling. They got the cash. It's going somewhere. Somebody's going to spend it. If a business or an entity spends it, it creates jobs. And if an individual buys it or does something, the consumer society still succeeds. I don't have to be the one doing the final spending. And and, and And what I mean by that is, I've increased my charitable giving tremendously over the years. So my my net worth does continue to go up and it goes up nicely and, and mostly because the market's great. Um, but I've been donating a lot more to a lot more charities for for that reason, because at some point more doesn't mean anymore. OK, um, I, I have no desire to get a, a private jet. I have no desire to have a second home. <clears throat> I might buy and I'm and I'm, I swear to God, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably chicken out and not do it. I might buy a brand new car for the first time in my life. Do it. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm really thinking, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to write that check and, and, and realist and, and, and this is what I want. I'm going to be a little bit like Pete, you know, Mr. Money Mustache. I want a vehicle that gets good mileage, has good value because that's me. Um, and, and, and you're right. I probably will do that. My next vehicle will be a new one, but I hope when I own cars, they're for 20 years. So, you know, I'm 54. That's I buy why you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do it pretty soon. I'm, I'm gonna, the car's going to outlive me. Uh, and I'm hoping to live longer than that now, but frugal for a reason. But if I buy a $40,000 vehicle, then I spend 40000 that year. But I have no expenses. I, like I said, I live in the boondocks. It takes me 20, 30 minutes to get to the closest retail shop. The only thing I have that helps me spend a little bit more is I have this nasty habit of buying books off of Amazon. So I probably spend a thousand bucks a year on books and the rest I get from libraries. And uh, so I, I guess I do have I, I, my, my, my cocaine habit just happens to come in uh, in paper and, and glue and binding and that kind of thing. But, huh. you know, it's a it's a good habit to have. Yeah, it's how you got to the net worth you are and all the skills that you've got and all the things that you've learned over the years and put into practice. So. It's not a not a bad habit. It's just a different habit than maybe somebody else, but it's very served you very well. So, Keith, where can where people get a hold of you or, or find you online? Yeah, I, I have the Wealthy Accountant blog, so it's wealthyaccountant.com. <clears throat> um, I guess if you Google it as well, it's going to be at the top of the list. Uh, I do. You can always track through to my business. Um, if people hear this and they want to be a client. I, I do look at things. Don't feel bad if I don't respond a lot. I usually respond to everybody, but I do say no a lot because again, I'm not, I, I do still take new clients, but I am very selective. You can always comment on the blog and I sometimes comment there. Uh, I, I, I'm going to continue to write in the blog, though I have slowed down my writing, but the goal is to write. I, I don't want to just be entertaining with some light information. I want to do stuff that a lot of people might not want to go there for traffic. Okay. So it's a, it's an ego uh, thing for me where it hurts a little bit, but it's meaningful to the people that get there. Awesome. Well, Keith, with a net worth of over $10 million, first million at in young 30s, obviously done a tremendous job. Thank you so much for the time and for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for asking me. Thanks, Keith. Yep, take care. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.